Still in the season of Advent, just a few days from Christmas, lots of stressful things happening in our lives and in the world. Let's pray for help from Jesus together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, in every need, let me come to you with humble trust, saying, Jesus, help me. In all my doubts, perplexities, and temptations, Jesus, help me. In hours of loneliness, weariness, and trials, Jesus, help me. In the failure of my plans and hopes, In disappointments, troubles, and sorrows, Jesus, help me. When others fail me and your grace alone can assist me, Jesus, help me. When I throw myself on your tender love as a father and savior, Jesus, help me. When my heart is cast down by failure at seeing no good come from my efforts, Jesus, help me. When I feel impatient and my cross irritates me, Jesus, help me. When I am ill and my head and hands cannot work and I am lonely, Jesus, help me. In spite of weakness, fails, and shortcomings of every kind, Jesus, help me and never forsake me. Amen. I don't know about you, but I know a few people in almost every single one of those lines in that litany in my own world, and some of those people are me sometimes. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Glad that you're along. We are here to help you through the noise, the chaos, the stress, the weariness, Whatever it is. And up this hour, Anna Mitchell's got news. I'm Matt Swain. Paul Lockman is at the controls. And Travis has a video feed you can watch in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Andrew Pettiprin is going to talk about a new book he's written about the Vatican film list, which came out many years ago, uh, but has some very interesting films on it. And he'll dig into that a little bit today. This weekend, we've got Christmas Eve on a Sunday, Christmas on a Monday. And that means two holy days of obligation in a row. And Brendan has broken down all the different ways that you can creatively fulfill those obligations during what's going to be some, well, really some awesome, some of the coolest liturgies of the year. Ken Craycraft will talk about a Christmas story by Charles Dickens, not the one you're thinking about, though. Uh, Dickens actually wrote a few of them. And then Mike Aquilina will join us here at the end of the hour as well to talk about uh, the incarnation and... uh, what the church fathers had to say about it. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Church leaders are stressing there has been no change in church teaching on marriage with the new guidance issued by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith on blessing people in irregular relationships. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. The declaration does not change the church's teaching about marriage in any way, and the blessings that are allowed do not in any way signify approval of irregular unions. In summary, the Castries Declaration explains that when two people request a blessing, even if the situation they find themselves in is irregular according to church law, it will nonetheless be possible for an ordained minister to consent to give the individuals a blessing. This gesture of pastoral closeness, however, must avoid any elements that even remotely resemble the right of blessing of marriage. 
The document from the Dicastery explores the theme of blessings, distinguishing between ritual and liturgical blessings on the one hand, and spontaneous ones that are more akin to signs of popular devotion on the other. It is precisely in the second category that there is now consideration of the possibility of welcoming even those who do not live according to the norms of Christian moral doctrine, but nonetheless humbly request to be blessed. You can find a link to the full text of the Declaration in our coverage of the document on our website at www.vaticannews.va. I'm Christopher Wells. The U.S. Bishops' Conference released a statement yesterday on the matter saying the Declaration, quote, articulated a distinction between liturgical or sacramental blessings and pastoral blessings, which may be given to persons who desire God's loving grace in their lives. The statement says the church's teaching on marriage has not changed, and this declaration affirms that, while also making an effort to accompany people through the imparting of pastoral blessings, because each of us needs God's healing love and mercy in our lives, end quote. The late Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor is set to be laid to rest today. Funeral services for O'Connor will be held at Washington National Cathedral, where President Biden and Chief Justice John Roberts are scheduled to speak. She was honored at the Supreme Court Monday, where she lied in repose inside the building's Great Hall. O'Connor, who was the first woman to sit on the Supreme Court, died on December 1st at the age of 93. The Biden administration will roll out one more package of military aid for Ukraine before the end of the year. Mark Mayfield reports. That's what National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters on Monday. This comes as the administration is warning the U.S. will run out of money to provide military support to Ukraine if Congress doesn't take action. The Senate is currently negotiating a deal for additional funding and border security. Republicans say Ukraine aid will have to be paired with a deal on immigration. I'm Mark Mayfield. Hundreds of thousands of customers are without power in the Northeast due to a major storm packing strong winds and heavy rain. Poweroutage.us showed power was knocked out for more than 600,000 people from Massachusetts up to Maine as of last night. Hazardous driving conditions and possible flash flooding is expected across the region. Parts of New Jersey, New York and Connecticut could see urban flooding due to heavy rain. And Icelandic authorities are asking people to stay away from an erupting volcano. The eruption sent lava jets hundreds of feet into the air and lit up the sky in the southwestern part of the country last night. It was preceded by an earthquake swarm, whatever that is. A nearby resort was forced to shut down because of the eruption. Matt, I would... Authorities have to tell people to stay away from an erupting volcano. I mean... It's like me talking to Agnes. Like, Agnes, stay away from the hot stove. Have you seen the footage of this? Hot. Hurt the baby. Hot. It's... I I don't know if it has to do with the temperature or the fact that it happened at night. Or, like, it's just... It's crazy. Would you run toward it? Oh, no, I'm, I'm not the person who runs toward a volcano. This is where we need. We had Bear on Bear Wozniak on far too early in the week. Of course, he's a Hawaiian, you know, right, lives in, right. in volcanoes, volcano country. Well, but, yeah. you remember Kilauea. Yeah. Kilauea? Is that, I think yes. It's Kilauea, yeah. No, it's terrifying. But, uh, you know, every now and then, 
it is helpful for us uh, egotistical, prideful humans to remember that we're not like the most powerful force in all of the universe. Yeah. Like little things like this just remind me that like, you know, I can control certain things. You know, I can be the master of certain aspects of mm-hmm. my life and destiny, but I am not the biggest force in the universe. Yeah. Not even on this planet. Actually, probably not even in this zip code. So. A couple of days ago was the anniversary of San Gennaro's relic saving the people of Naples from Which Mount just liquefied Vesuvius. again this week, by the way. Well, yeah, because December 16th, you know my story with Roma. I know your December story. December 16th is the day. That her blood clot in her brain liquefied the liquefied. same day. Liquefied. Yep. It's pretty there awesome. are forces in this universe bigger than you and me, Anna the Mitchell. I don't know if you're so aware thin. of this. So, so thin. It's eight minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Andrew Pettiprin, who, along with a couple of other guys, has put together a new book for Word on Fire called Popcorn with the Pope. It is a look at the Vatican film list. Andrew, welcome back. Glad to be back with you, Matt. Thank you. So to preface this, I have to note that you, Andrew, were, uh, along with Father Michael Ward, both priests in the Episcopal Anglican world. I don't know David Paul Baird, your third contributor, but I know enough to know from his bio he went to Wheaton College. I'm trying to envision, and I don't think that this kind of thing exists. If it does, then forgive me. Is there a Canterbury film list? Is there a Billy Graham Memorial film list? The idea of a Vatican film list is kind of like its own thing. Yeah, it sure is. You're right. Um, yeah, between uh, me and Father Michael Ward and David Paul Baird, all three of us were former Protestants. And, uh, you know, as it happens, all three of us are, are great uh, movie watchers and cinephiles. But, yeah, you're right. There's no, there's no film list uh, that any other Christian group has, as far as I know. But we do, as Catholics. Pope St. John Paul II in 1995 issued uh, a list that had the unassuming title, Some Important Films. And, and on the list were 45 movies that have come to be called the Vatican Film List. And even though it came out in 1995, nobody's ever written a comprehensive book, like a guidebook, to the movies that are on the list. So Brother Michael and David and I decided to do that. And uh, we could talk a little bit more about why there probably will never, ever be another Vatican film list. I, I just yeah. I can't even envision the possibility of how that would work and how it might play out. I mean, can you imagine if social media was in the state that it is today when the Pope released this film list? Yeah, well, it's you know, the list came out to mark the 100th anniversary of the first public showing of a motion picture. So it was this landmark moment. And it also was kind of this interesting moment in the culture the, at the end of the 20th century where there still was a kind of popular culture that, that prevailed in the West. And so even, even the Vatican could kind of say, hey, here are some movies. You might, you might have seen them, you might not. Nowadays, our culture is so fragmented. I mean, people don't really watch the same things. And yeah, if the, if the Vatican put out a list of movies that they thought people might be interested in, there would probably just be so much blowback. I mean, there would just be like social media would just go crazy if, if the Pope put out a list saying, you know, here are some movies, right? Right. In 1995, there was no way to like illegally download movies, right? I mean, you might be right. able to... Uh burn a dvd if you had the right tech or more likely copy over a vhs but these movies were you know movies didn't make it i mean right now there's just so much saturation like i feel like 
everywhere I look, people are talking about 500 new shows that I've never heard of. Like, this was a different sort of world when these movies came out. So when you came across the Vatican film list, did you look and immediately say, oh, cool, the Pope likes some of the same movies I do? Were there any on the list that were like, these are some of my favorite movies, too? Some of them definitely, Matt. I mean, you know, some of the movies that are on the list and that, that I that David and Father Michael and I got to write about are movies that people will know. Movies like It's a Wonderful Life, The Wizard of Oz, Fantasia, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Chariots of Fire, Ben-Hur, things like that. Like, you know, movies that a lot of people will have seen, or at least, you know, people who like movies. But then there are a lot of movies on the list that people probably haven't seen. And a lot of them are, you know, European classics like um, Babette's Feast. Some people might have seen that, but... Some people might not have seen movies like um, Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half or um, maybe um, Andrei Tarkovsky's Andrei Rublev. You know, these kind of art house movies, sort of, you know, thinking people's movies. Now, we love, we love these movies, the other authors and I. And we, one of the things we wanted to do with the book was to make these movies seem attractive to people who may not otherwise turn to kind of more highbrow type movies. But the list is full of all kinds of different stuff. And you know, that's kind of part of the idea is the Vatican is saying, look, I mean, there are different kinds of movies for different kinds of circumstances. And that's why the list is actually divided up into three categories. The categories are religion, art, and uh, values. So three different categories and films fit into those three different places. Yes, it is fascinating in a lot of ways. Were there any that you did not know about and did not watch until you started doing this project and then you watched them and, and just like really... Uh, like appreciated them? Yeah, there were quite a few movies actually on the list that I had never seen and that I watched and really, really liked. Um, one that I recommend to people now is a movie called Ordet, O-R-D-E-T. And it's a movie by a Danish director named Carl Theodore Dreyer. Now, if people are getting disinterested hearing this description, I, I can assure them that uh, it is well worth the effort to watch this movie called Ordet. It is a beautiful movie about the Christian life. It's, it's set in Denmark, so the people in the movie are Lutherans, not Catholics. But it is a really beautiful, moving, and just kind of inspiring movie about, about faith. So that was, a, that was a huge find for me. Ordet, love that one. There are some very interesting additions to this, and I just want to key in on one of them. Uh, bear in mind, this is the Vatican. This is the Pope who comes out with these are. This is the list of films that I like, and you mentioned already that one of them is Chariots of Fire. Now I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody knows anything about Chariots of Fire and the guy that it's kind of about. It's uh, Eric yeah. Little, who was a missionary kid with like an interdenominational missionary society. He's a f- incredible runner. Uh, he refuses to compete on a Sunday because of his Christian faith. He goes on to do missionary work work in China. It just strikes me like. Uh, I think he was like more like reformed, maybe mm-hmm. in his because like, he was Scottish. Uh, it, I wonder if like Eric Little was around in 1995, how he would feel about the Pope liking the movie based on his life. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and it's really quite an ecumenical list. And to your point, Eric Little was a yeah, he was a Scottish Presbyterian and and a very kind of strict, almost kind of puritanical Presbyterian. I mean, yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't run on a Sunday, which. You know, mo- most of us Catholics, we know we, we need to, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, but um, there are lots of things we, we do do on a Sunday that we don't think conflict with, with keeping the Sabbath. But for Eric Little, it was anything. You know, it was just very, very strict. But yeah, the, li- the list includes, um, 
You know, I mean, even the movie Gandhi is on the list, for example. You know, I mean, that that's not a movie about a Christian at all. It's about a, a faith leader from a completely different tradition. It isn't saying that we're like, you know, we're affirming the truth of Hinduism or anything like that. But we are, the Pope was able to say, even then in the 90s, like, hey, here's a movie about somebody who is really interesting and whose life might actually be edifying to Catholics, even though obviously he was not a Catholic. Well, thank you so much, Andrew Pettiprin. We've got his book, Popcorn with the Pope, from Word on Fire, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Back with headlines after this, it's 16 past. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. EWTN's Religious Catalog has terrific suggestions for Christmas gifts. Mother Angelica's Guide to the Spiritual Life. EWTN founders Mother Angelica dedicated her life to showing the love of God to the masses. This book captures her typical entertaining and uncompromising style. Mother Angelica's Guide to the Spiritual Life is one of many great Catholic Christmas gifts from EWTN Religious Catalog. For more, visit EWTNRC.com today. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Church leaders are stressing there has been no change in church teaching on marriage after new guidance was issued by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith on blessing people in irregular relationships. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza is mourning the two Christian women who were killed recently by Israeli snipers. And the Biden administration will be rolling out one more package of military aid for Ukraine before the end of the year. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, just a heads up, we are not going to spend a ton of time on that DDF document today. Father Philip Michael Tangora, our canon law correspondent, will be on tomorrow uh, with a little bit of space and hopefully a little calm to talk about it. But I do want to just point out one thing. Don't panic. Don't panic. Uh, but the uh, the news sources people send to me um, to say, hey, what does this mean? Uh, where's this coming from? And people are sending me headlines from uh, mainstream conservative uh, news outlets and from secular progressive news outlets. And just to just to like to peel back the curtain a little bit, um, a lot of those mainstream conservative news outlets outlets are run by um, Protestants. 
on the more tending towards like the more reformed side of the perspective. Uh, they're not even all church-going Protestants. That's coming from like the right mainstream news outlets. The left mainstream news outlets are fairly secular progressive. I don't know if you know much about fundamentalist Protestantism or secular progressivism. Neither one of them are big fans of the Catholic Church. I was going to say, both of them want you to believe the same things about Pope Francis. Neither of them also are very literate in Catholicism. So I would just say, deep breath, read a Catholic source, and actually, you can read the document itself. Yeah, I was going to say, it's readily available. And not that long. No. So let's start there. We can talk about it after that. But read it. Go to I the just source. don't understand. I don't understand how people source. could feel so confident to comment publicly on something that they clearly did not read. Yeah. <laughs> like, and a lot of people clearly have not read it. Yeah. So go read it. Read it. No one wants to be misleaded. And Father Tangora will talk about it tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's 21 past. As starting to think outside the box to find new customers, you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Everyone is familiar with the priestly blessing. We hear it on January 1st each year as the first reading for the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In part, it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. This is, in fact, the oldest portion of the Bible known to us today. It was found some 30 years ago, engraved on two amulets, pieces of jewelry, found in Jerusalem. They have been dated to sometimes six centuries before the birth of of our Lord. It seems that people 2,500 years ago or more found a comfort in those words just as we do today. We may not have them on precious metal, but we can imitate them. So let's pray that just as God shines and looks kindly on us, let us do the same for others. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Brendan Hodge joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of the novel, If You Can Get It, which has some Christmas scenes in it. You can find it at Ignatius Press. He's also a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. Great to be on with you. It is great to have you. And a couple of weeks ago, we uh, were talking about how in we are in the midst of the shortest Advent possible. That meaning that the fourth Sunday of Advent is also Christmas Eve. Now, I don't want to make people all scrupulous and whatnot, but 
we are going to talk about this in light of the uh, mass obligation that we have as Roman Catholics for Sunday and and Holy Days. And uh, so, first of all, Brendan, I mean, sometimes when a Holy Day falls on a Monday, um, it can get sort of, quote unquote, absorbed into the Sunday mass obligation. Is that the case with Christmas? No, that is not the case with Christmas. Um, the decision to absorb in a Holy Day obligation into a Sunday obligation is one which is made by the national bishop bishops' conferences. And although most Holy Days in the U.S. have been chosen by the U.S. bishops as Holy Days, which can be moved to the nearest Sunday so that we celebrate that um, that obligation on Sunday, the Christmas obligation is not one of those. And so Christmas, we have a obligation to go to Mass for Christmas itself, and also a separate obligation to go to Mass on Sunday, even though those are currently back-to-back. Okay, so The Pillar a couple of weeks ago put out a very helpful explainer on all of this. You can go to PillarCatholic.com if you you want to revisit these uh, things, but I would encourage you to get out a pen and a notebook if you're not driving and take notes right now, um, because we're going to be talking about the various combinations of masses, so to speak, that we can attend to fulfill the Sunday obligation and the Christmas Holy Day obligation. And uh, the guys over at the Pillar gave them some fun names. So tell us about two for two, Brendan. So the simplest approach is uh, go to Sunday Mass on Sunday, and then Monday go to a Christmas morning Mass on Christmas. Um, So you're going to Mass twice for your two obligations on back-to-back days, and um, that uh, covers both of your obligations. All right. Now, if Christmas morning, for whatever reason, is not the best time for your family to go to Mass, or maybe you're a midnight Mass person, uh, tell us about Vigil All the Way. Exactly. So we're used to, you can normally go to a vigil mass on Saturday evening uh, to fulfill your Sunday obligation. You could, of course, do that this coming weekend. You would go to Sunday mass on Saturday evening. And then if your parish is like mine, you probably have three times as many Christmas (laughs) Eve masses as Christmas masses. And so you would then go to one of the Christmas vigil masses on Christmas Eve. So you would end up going to mass for Sunday on Saturday and for Christmas on Sunday. And, um, I don't know. This might, I don't, I don't know if this is a good way to be thinking about it, but maybe it is. You can look at the readings ahead of time and, and choose which of the uh, vigil masses you want based on which readings you want to hear proclaimed. Um, your favorite uh, Christmas readings, I guess. Uh, go for the one with the genealogy from Matthew. That's a good one. Um, okay, now. Exactly. Not everyone knows this, but the readings for regular vigil mass for Christmas are different than the readings for midnight mass for Christmas, which are different mm-hmm. from the Christmas morning vigil, the, the Christmas morning uh, mass readings. So you actually have three different sets of readings you could potentially hear. Yeah, absolutely, which have no bearing on your obligation, so to speak, um, which we'll get into in a second here. But let's go through these uh, couple of other options that we have. What is the long weekend? 
So you could, of course, go Saturday evening to your vigil mass, then take Sunday as a quiet day to frantically uh, get ready for Christmas, <laughs> and day. then go to Christmas morning mass on Christmas. So you would then be going to mass on Saturday and on Monday. Oh, interesting. Okay. That is an option that didn't actually occur to me. So uh, good to know. The long weekends, you take Sunday as a day of rest, so to speak, to frantically get ready for Christmas. Okay, now... Tell us about Super Sunday. This is uh, this is a pretty impressive choice. So this may actually end up being a choice for a lot of people in that you could simply go to your normal Sunday morning Mass and then later in the day go to Vigil Mass for Christmas. So you'd be fulfilling your Sunday obligation in the morning and your Christmas obligation in the afternoon or evening. Now, will an afternoon Mass on Christmas Eve... <laughs> fulfill the obligation that we have to attend Mass on the fourth Sunday of Advent if we also go to a Mass that's like later, like midnight or later? Yes. Uh, And in fact, it doesn't even have to be as late as midnight. So your obligation to attend Mass on Sunday or on a holy day uh, is bound by calendar time, if you will, rather than liturgical time. So if you if you wanted, you could go to a evening Christmas Eve, uh, so Christmas Vigil Mass, and then go to the, the the Christmas Midnight Mass. Both of those would actually be Christmas Masses, but the first of those you could go for your Sunday obligation, and then the second you could go for your Christmas obligation. Thank you so much, Brendan Hodge, for sorting all of that out for us. And like I said, there is a piece over at the Pillar, PillarCatholic.com. And if you click on their explainers tab, I believe, is where you will find this one about how to make sure that you go to Mass. We all want to make sure that we're going to Mass on Sunday and on Christmas, which is course one of the biggest holy days of the year for us in the roman catholic church so you can also find brendan linked in our show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com half past the hour now on the sunrise morning show it's time for news church leaders are stressing there has been no change in church teaching on marriage with a new guidance issued yesterday by the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith on blessing people in irregular relationships. The Declaration Fiducia Supplicans makes a distinction between liturgical blessings and blessings associated with popular piety, the latter being available without moral perfection, thereby being open to folks who are in same-sex relationships or in unmarried heterosexual relationships. It states that, quote, rites and prayers that could create confusion between what constitutes marriage are inadmissible. The U.S. Bishops Conference released a statement yesterday on the matter saying the declaration, quote, articulated a distinction between liturgical blessings and pastoral blessings, which may be given to persons who desire God's loving grace in their lives. It states the church's teaching on marriage has not changed And this declaration affirms that while also making an effort to accompany people through the imparting of pastoral blessings, because each of us needs God's healing love and mercy in our lives, end quote. 
Israel is facing growing pressure at home and internationally over its campaign in Gaza against Hamas. Mark Mayfield reports. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin visited Tel Aviv on Monday and said he was going to reiterate America's commitment to Israel while also pushing for the need to protect civilians from harm in the Gaza Strip. This comes after Israeli forces accidentally killed three hostages in Gaza and two women who were taking refuge in a church were also killed, sparking outrage. Meanwhile, CIA Director William Burns is meeting with Qatari and Israeli officials in Poland to talk about the hostage situation and a potential humanitarian pause. I'm Mark Mayfield. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza is mourning those two Christian women who were killed by Israeli snipers. Father Gabriel Romanelli told Vatican News that the two women, a mother and daughter, were active in Holy Family Parish. He said their loss is a great sorrow. He said, quote, let us continue to pray that all this ends, this absurdity, as we have repeated so many times, a month of war, an hour of war, a minute of war only increases the number of victims and deprives people of peace of daily life, end quote. Pope Francis yesterday addressed participants in the second global refugee forum. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Pope Francis said that this second meeting shows a clear commitment to resolving the plight of refugees as a shared responsibility and therefore marks a sign of hope. The Pope said he sees many positive signs in our world with countries and local communities keeping their borders and hearts open to refugees, saving lives at sea, offering solidarity in reception centers. He recalled how important cooperation is as the key solution to global problems. Choosing whether to stay in their home country or migrate to another one should be a recognized freedom, the Pope said. And ideally, everyone should have the opportunity to live a dignified life in their own country. Today, almost 114 million people are forcibly displaced, some within their own countries, due to conflicts, violence, persecution, even religious, and climate change, the Pope lamented. And our responses have yet to adequately address these complex and pressing emergencies. Sadly, he underscored, we continue to mourn the countless lives lost on land and at sea while seeking protection or fleeing from a hopeless future. And that's why it's top priority to protect and save human lives, the Pope writes. Apart from meeting immediate needs for food and shelter, efforts should strive to help refugees and migrants participate in and contribute to the societies receiving them recalling that refugees are persons with rights and duties, not just objects of assistance. And he said their talents and skills can be a valuable and appreciated resource for host communities. In conclusion, the Pope writes that we're at a threshold moment today where we can choose either the culture of humanity and fraternity or a culture of indifference. He encouraged all the participants at the Global Refugee Forum to seize the opportunity to reaffirm the principles of fraternity and solidarity among communities and countries. I'm Thaddeus Jones. And the late Justice Sandra Day O'Connor will be laid to rest today. Services will be at the Washington National Cathedral. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. 
They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks... Which are the means instituted by our Lord to enable men at all times to share in the fruits of their redemption? The means instituted by our Lord to enable men at all times to share in the fruits of the redemption are the church and the sacraments. Our Lord, in order to extend his presence through space and time, gave us his mystical body, the church. We then, in baptism, are incorporated into his body and thereby we enter into the rest of the sacraments by which we can gain grace and receive the graces of the redemption won for us in the cross and resurrection of Christ. He said, My church will be one, it will be holy, it will be Catholic and apostolic. And if any church is not these, you can be sure it is not my church. And through those marks, then, we can recognize that God gives us grace even now through his mystical body, the church. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us this morning. Sunrise Morning Show legal, political, and sometimes cultural analyst Ken Craycraft back with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday visitor, among other publications. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Annie. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. And we are going to get a Christmas reading recommendation from you this morning from one of the most uh, famous authors associated with Christmas Charles Dickens, uh, but it's not a Christmas carol as good a Christmas read as that is. You know, I have in my hands here, Ken, um, a book called The Christmas Books of Dickens, and there are quite a few uh, Christmas tales in here, including the one that you are recommending this morning, The Cricket on the Hearth. Give us the plot. Yeah, so The Cricket on the Hearth is one of, uh, he wrote several Christmas stories, and and for a period in the mid-1840s, five years in a row, he released the story right before Christmas, and those are collected in the Christmas stories. The most famous one, of course, is A Christmas Carol. Uh, The Cricket on the Hearth actually is not set at Christmas. The setting is late January, not Christmas. There's no mention of Christmas. Christmas is not a theme in the the, uh, the, uh, short story. Nonetheless, it resonates with 
with Christian sensibilities and the spirit of Christmas, if we think about sacrificial giving and surprises and, and, and all of those things. The plot is, is, um, is a little bit complicated, so it's going to be difficult to summarize, but uh, basically it's uh, a, a, a story of surprises, a story of unexpected uh, and, and uh, extremely um, uh, surprising plot twists that, uh, that go from seeming despair and seeming uh, complete uh, sadness uh, to uh, inexpressible joy. And that's not giving the story away. It actually, it, it's a Christmas story after all. But it's interesting uh, because it has so many characters and even plot twists that are so similar to A Christmas Carol. For example, if you're familiar with The Christmas Carol, you know the Cratchits, mm-hmm. uh, Tiny Tim uh, being the, the main one. Well, there are there are characters in uh, The Cricket on the Hearth that correspond very close to, to the Cratchits, the, the Cratchits rather, uh, a, a toy maker and his blind daughter. And then, of course... Um, the uh, the Fezziwigs in the Christmas Carol are this extremely lighthearted, fun-loving uh, family who throw these lavish parties for Christmas and and they would laugh and and have so much fun. Well, they're very similar to the Peary Bingles in the uh, Cricket on the Hearth. The Peary Bingles uh, are uh, the main... names. <laughs> My goodness. Isn't that a great name? Yes. The Peary Bingles, yes. And uh and, and they're they're such a, a joyous couple. Uh but they go through a trial in the story, a very serious trial. And they're a married couple, uh John and, and Dot, as he calls his wife, although her name is actually Mary. And they go through they go through a crisis, and Dickens takes us through the crisis in their marriage and sees how that crisis gets resolved. But the thing that what the wonderful thing about it is that it does get resolved. And again, I'm not giving anything away by saying that but it gets resolved in a way that involves other people and get, brings joy and happiness and satisfaction to other people and then it has its scrooge a man named tackleton who owns said toy shop uh that uh that caleb uh works in the toy maker uh in where he lives with his blind daughter and his blind daughter works in the toy shop too so you have all of these very wow. uh, uh very similar aspects to the christmas uh, christmas carol the uh, but scrooge set in a very character the Scrooge character owns a toy shop. Wow. Yes, yes, but he yes, but he he does. But um, but he he makes his he designs his his toys so that they have mean faces and and scowls and things like that. And Dickens says that that one of the things that he loves to make are drums and cymbals and other instruments of torture. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So many parents. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss, exactly. you know, like the Whoville uh, kids that, yes. with the Grinch as well. <laughs> so so you've told us about the characters here. Tell, I mean, one of the things, as, as you're already alluding to, we were just talking about how, how great he is at coming up with names of characters. I mean, to, to talk about the language that Dickens uses yeah. is, is to talk about beauty. Yes, it is. Absolutely. In all of his stories and in and, and all of his novels, and I think I've read almost all of them now, in all of his novels, he, he very much emphasizes uh, uh, what we call anthropomorphism. That is to say, he gives human qualities to things like the wind or the rain or snow mm-hmm. uh, or, or houses or doors. And he does that in this in this story, too, with the kettle. Uh, which is the kettle that uh, Mrs. Perry Bingle uses to make tea, uh, heat water for tea and heat water for cooking 
and heat water for all kinds of things. And of course, the story is set in the in, in the time that Dickens wrote it in the mid 19th century. Apparently, so it's no all the kettle's fault. So it's all the kettle's fault. That's yeah. the first line of the novel. It's yeah. the kettle. The kettle started it. And what the kettle started was a chorus. A chorus that the cricket joined in that made the Perry, the Perry Bengals house such a warm and welcoming place. So, and you can feel it and sense it, the kettle steaming yeah. and gurgling, the cricket chirping. So he's, so Dickens says at one point before the kettle really uh, got its voice, he says, the kettle, quote, wouldn't hear of accommodating itself to the knobs of coal. Mm -hmm. It would lean forward with a drunken air and dribble on the hearth. It was quarrelsome and wow. hissed and spluttered morosely at the fire. The sullen and pig-headed kettle was defiant, cocking its spout pertly and mockingly at Mrs. Peerybingle as it said, I won't boil. Nothing shall induce me. Unquote. Wow. And 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 there are more of those as you go through with the the the, uh, the kettle wrestling with Mrs. Harry Bingle to yield what she wants it to yield in a timely way. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, Ken, what this is obviously not the the story from Dickens that we associate with Christmas. And I mean, A Christmas Carol is incredible, and so it is rightfully. Um, taken the place yes. of of one of the ultimate Christmas stories, but this one I had never even heard of it. Um, so <laughs> so can you talk about what it teaches us about the meaning of Christmas and why you would recommend that people pick this one up this Christmas? Yes, yes. So the first thing is is that you get a, the, a very rich incarnational sense of the human experience and the human predicament. Grace is communicated throughout the story by people and by the presence of people. And of course, when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate grace given and presented and made present by the presence of a person who makes it possible for us people to experience and communicate grace as well. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Grace is communicated by various characters and various characters' lives are transformed by the gracious presence of gracious people. So there's a strong incarnational uh, nature to it. And we also get a, a very strong sense of the nature of of, uh, of uh, of uh, generous giving, of gratuitous, that's the word I was looking for, gratuitous giving, giving that expects nothing in return, which after all is the actual spirit of giving a gift. If we give a gift and expect something in return, it's really not a gift, it's a down payment. Yeah. But in uh, The Cricket on the Hearth, we have uh, a very strong sense of the of the true gratuitousness of giving. That is, people giving of themselves, giving themselves and of themselves without the expectation of anything in return. And that's a virtue that's very difficult to develop. And its twin virtue is difficult to develop too, Annie, and that is receiving without feeling a felt need to give something in return. Mm -hmm. And that's also a theme that we uh, that emerges in the cricket on the hearth. So we have the incarnational presence of grace, we have gratuitous giving, and we have the people People teaching one another and learning virtue from one another in ways that resonate with the, the, the story of Christmas. Grace coming through people 
at, and that grace being gratuitous gifts to people that make them better, that redeem them, uh, and that uh, lead them to lives of, of fullness of virtue. And we see conversions in this story. Uh, and, and, and again, it's giving nothing away. We see a, a radical conversion in A Christmas Carol, and we see a radical conversion in The Cricket on the Hearth. And mm -hmm. even though it's not set at Christmas, it's a perfect Christmas story for all of those reasons. And it's a story that I really encourage readers to take a half hour, 45 minutes, to take up and read because it's a heartwarming story. It's a story to read out loud around the fire at Christmas nice. time and I, no one will be disappointed. Yeah, it's less than 70 pages in my book and who wouldn't want to read around a fire a story that has the chapters entitled Chirp the First, Chirp the Second, and Chirp the Third. <laughs> the Cricket on the Hearth yes. by Charles Dickens. We've been talking about it with Ken Craycraft. Ken, thank you so much and have a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Annie. Merry Christmas to you and Happy New Year because I won't see you until 2024. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy to think about. Well, it's 13 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Mike Aquilina joins us next. The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org because Christmas means life. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy by knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box and order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series. Again, that's lordteachmetopray.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. <laughs> Mother Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. So there's a lot of talk about Eucharistic revival and what that all means, and Christmas is a great opportunity to maybe invite people back uh, who have been away from church. That's an opportunity every year. But in the name Christmas itself, don't we already have something built in that points to the Eucharist? Absolutely. Christmas is the Christ's Mass. That's the etymology of the word. That's the origin of the word. It's the Christ's Mass. So anyone who refers to the holiday is kind of acknowledging the center of the holiday as, as the Mass, the Holy Mass celebrating uh, the, the event that, that we know from Scripture and from tradition. All right, so it goes deeper even than that. And you actually wrote an article for Angelus News where you talk about even the place where he was born points to this Eucharistic nature of the Incarnation. 
Yeah. Well, you, you know, the um, the church reads the Bible typologically because we believe that's how God wrote the Bible. A good author will set the stage for an event long before the event takes place. You know, the famous line, I think it was from Chekhov, that, that says that if you, uh, if you place a, a, a gun on the wall in Act 1, you'd better use it by Act 3, right? You're always setting the stage for later events. That's what an author does. And God is the author of scriptures. So we find in the New Testament that uh, the apostles read the Bible this way. They saw certain events in the Old Testament prefiguring events in the New Testament. And St. Paul does this a lot. Uh, he does it especially when he's talking about the sacraments. In, uh, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he speaks of certain Old Testament foreshadowings, anticipations of the sacraments that are revealed by Jesus Christ, that are in instituted by Jesus Christ and entrusted to the church. Uh, he, he refers to baptism and compares it to the water from the rock in the Exodus. He refers to the Eucharist, and he says that the Eucharist was foreshadowed, was prefigured by the manna that that the uh, the Israelites were given in the desert to sustain them over the journey. He says also that the, the Eucharist was prefigured by the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, that was part of the, the Passover Seder. Um, so, so this happens again and again when we're discussing the sacraments, and it happens in the Christmas story as well. And the fathers of the church noticed this. St. Cyril of Alexandria noticed this. St. John Chrysostom noticed this. They noticed many small details in the way the Gospels uh, relate the story of the nativity, and they said that these are Eucharistic types anticipating our Lord's institution of the sacrament at the Last Supper. Well, with Bethlehem, you've got some really interesting things happening. Of course, Jesus is the son of David, and that'd be a pretty cool connection in and of itself. But let's talk a little bit more about, you know, even the fact that the place where Jesus is laid is called a manger. And even yes. someone with a little bit of Italian knows mangia, right? <laughs> uh, that That's right. This means he's, he's placed in, in the place where people put food. That's right. So we have Bethlehem as the house of bread, and in Bethlehem, he's placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals among sheaves of grain, right? Uh, the animal feed that's, uh, that's, that's given to them. So we, uh, so we have in the name Bethlehem, in the fact that he's placed in a manger, and also some small details. Uh, you know, some scholars point out that, um, that St. Luke tells us there was no place for them in the inn. Now, the word that's translated as inn in Luke 2.7 is, is nothing so grand as a hotel or a motel like we're ima we, we imagine it to be. Um, kataluma means literally an upper room. Okay, that's where you had boarders stay. That's where you had, had people who were passing through. Uh, that's where you could have them stay, the upper room. And it's translated that way later on in St. Luke's Gospel when it denotes the place where Jesus instituted the Eucharist. So you have that detail as well. And many of the saints have seen other details. You know, it, in, in tradition, Mary is honored uh, as the Ark of the Covenant. As the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the, the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant held the manna 
that was given to the Israelites in the desert. And she holds Jesus in her womb, right? So Jesus is the bread of life. So we can see Mary as a kind of Eucharistic tabernacle. And then, well, you know, it's we so have fascinating too. I mean, if you, as you, if you start thinking about this for any amount of time, you yes. start to make all these natural connections yes. yourself. You know, Jesus will become, you know, for us, the bread of life when he institutes the Eucharist. But there's another image that Jesus uses for himself a few different times. Uh, he talks about himself as the good shepherd. And how yes. interesting is it that the good shepherd is in the place where the sheep would eat the food, right? He puts himself <laughs> yes, yes. in the sheep's food trough. It's fascinating. And he's visited by shepherds who come in from the fields where they were keeping watch by night. And, you know, some scholars believe that the shepherds in those fields in Bethlehem, so close to Jerusalem, uh, were shepherds who raised the sacrificial lambs who would be sacrificed uh, at, at the Passover. So there are all of these connections with the sacrifice of the temple, uh, which foreshadowed the Eucharistic presence of Jesus. And then, you know, later on in the story, we have, um, we have the, uh, the Magi coming from the east. And what did they give Jesus? They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And where are these things used? They're used in the Catholic sacraments, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for the vessels that we, we have in, for the Eucharist. Frankincense, we're using incense all over the place at my parish these days. And, and, and myrrh for anointing in, 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 uh, in holy orders, in the anointing of the sick and confirmation. So, so these three gifts are kind of a final uh, sacramental moment. Yeah, what is interesting to me is that I did not grow up with regular uh, observances of the Lord's Supper in my evangelical context. Uh, we still called it Christmas, right? Even though there was yes. no Mass. Um, yes. And we had, the, you know, the Lord's Supper with, you know, some kind of, you know, every few weeks or months, uh, that would be the case. But when you talk about it this way, it seems impossible to talk about coming of Christ without the Mass. Yeah. Well, it's baked in there, so to speak, baked in there as with the bread of life. Uh, so, so it's a, it's it's a, it's a natural association. It's a supernatural association, and in my opinion, and it's not just my opinion; it's the opinion of the fathers of the church. This was baked into uh, the bread of life from the beginning of creation. Well, thank you so much, Mike Aquilina. Find a link to Mike in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Another full hour coming up for many of you listening across the EWTN affiliate network. Back after this, it's 3 Till. We are in the middle of the season of Advent. We are uh, actually on the Tuesday of the last week of Advent this year. It is the 19th of December. Let's pray together a prayer. In the uh, this is actually from this morning's Magnificat. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, by your coming, you call us to reconciliation with God. Grant us a true spirit of contrition and a deep desire for conversion. Lord, by your coming, you call us to reconciliation with family and friends. Grant us the humility to seek and to bestow pardon. 
Lord, by your coming, you call us to reconciliation with our enemies. Grant us patience and true charity towards those who cause us frustration or wish us harm. Lord our God, you sent your prophets to call all people to abandon their unfaithful pursuits and to return to you with all their hearts in preparation for the day of your coming. As we prepare to celebrate your coming, recall us to the gospel and grant us true conversion through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to continue through this last full week of Advent. A lot of chaos, a lot of noise, a lot of distraction. Let's finish well. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. You can watch our video feed. Lively chat's going on right now on Facebook and YouTube. You can access that video stream through the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Frank Donio will be with us with some more Advent reflections from the Palatine tradition. Father Patrick Briscoe will discuss St. Patrick and Advent. You might not have made that connection before. Uh, But Steve Ray will be with us also. We're going to look at uh, unlikely and miraculous births in the Bible as we head towards the most miraculous birth of all at Christmas. And then Chris McGregor will look at what St. Bernard of Clairvaux had to say about Mary and her obedience and her role in the Christmas story. Two minutes past, news of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Church leaders are stressing that there has been no change in church teaching on marriage with a new guidance issued by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith on Blessing People in Irregular Relationships. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. The declaration does not change the church's teaching about marriage in any way, and the blessings that are allowed do not in any way signify approval of irregular unions. In summary, the Castries Declaration explains that when two people request a blessing, even if the situation they find themselves in is irregular according to church law, it will nonetheless be possible for an ordained minister to consent to give the individuals a blessing. This gesture of pastoral closeness, however, must avoid any elements that even remotely resemble the right of blessing of marriage. The document from the Dicastery explores the theme of blessings, distinguishing between ritual and liturgical blessings on the one hand, and spontaneous ones that are more akin to signs of popular devotion on the other. It is precisely in the second category that there is now consideration of the possibility of welcoming even those who do not live according to the norms of Christian moral doctrine, but nonetheless humbly request to be blessed. You can find a link to the full text of the declaration in our coverage of the document on our website at www.vaticannews.va. I'm Christopher Wells. The U.S. Bishops' Conference released a statement yesterday on the matter saying the declaration, quote, articulated a distinction between liturgical or sacramental blessings and pastoral blessings, which may be given to persons who desire God's loving grace in their lives. The church's teaching on marriage, it says, has not changed, and this declaration affirms that while also making an effort to accompany people through the imparting of pastoral blessings, because each of us needs God's healing love and mercy in our lives, end quote. In other news, the United Nations Security Council will likely try again today to vote 
on a halt in the fighting in Gaza. Previous efforts have been vetoed by the United States as Israel continues the war against Hamas. This time, the Security Council is expected to call for a suspension of hostilities instead of an outright stop, hoping it could bring Washington on board. While the Biden administration has criticized the mounting civilian casualties in the war, it continues to argue that a full cessation of hostilities would only benefit Hamas. Meanwhile, the Biden administration will be rolling out one more package of military aid for Ukraine before the end of the year. Mark Mayfield reports. That's what National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters on Monday. This comes as the administration is warning the U.S. will run out of money to provide military support to Ukraine if Congress doesn't take action. The Senate is currently negotiating a deal for additional funding and border security. Republicans say Ukraine aid will have to be paired with a deal on immigration. I'm Mark Mayfield. The late Justice Sandra Day O'Connor is set to be laid to rest today. Funeral services for O'Connor will be held at Washington National Cathedral, where President Biden and Chief Justice John Roberts are scheduled to speak. She was honored at the Supreme Court yesterday, where she lied in repose inside the building's Great Hall. O'Connor was the first woman to sit on the Supreme Court. She died December 1st at the age of 93. And Icelandic authorities are asking people to stay away from an erupting volcano. The eruption sent lava jets hundreds of feet in the air and lit up the sky in the southwestern part of the country last night. It was preceded by an earthquake swarm. A nearby resort was forced to shut down because of the eruption. Yep, stay away from the erupting volcano, ladies and gentlemen. Well... Today is Tuesday, December the 19th, and we are happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's seven past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Frank Donio from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father Frank. Good morning, Anna. It's good to have you back, and we're continuing our mini-series, Spending Advent with St. Vincent Pilati, and Today, we are focusing on the theme of joy, and I think we all think we know what joy is, Father, but when I think about that verse from St. Paul that says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always, I don't think joy is just being emotionally happy. So what exactly is it? No, and joy is something that's much more, much deeper and really is, as St. Vincent Pilate says, holy cheerfulness is a precious fruit of the gifts of the Holy Spirit mm. and is thus the mark of a true servant of the Lord. Holy cheerfulness. And, and I, I like that holy cheerfulness. I think there, he talks about joy a little, a little later, which I'll, I'll mention later, but this cheerfulness is really what he's talking about. This, this joy, it's not just simply here, put on a smile and, you know, and, and just simply go through go through life not recognizing that our true peace our true joy comes in being a disciple of Christ a servant of Christ that's where true joy is happiness too often people are searching for happiness and that's really fleeting mm-hmm. you know and this time of year it, it really focuses in on that oh that that gift that somebody wants or this yep. this thing that they think is going to really make them extra happy and, and then it goes away 
joy, true joy that comes from the Lord doesn't go away. And there's that that cheerfulness, really, what, what St. Vincent is saying is we have to radiate this, especially toward people who we we he calls them strangers. And what he's talking about are people who may not may not agree with us or or maybe hostile toward us or don't or or really don't have a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if we're sour and bitter and nasty, where does that show the <sighs> joy of Christ? When I was reading this quote from St. Vincent, I started thinking about, you know, how often I lament all of this you know, celebrating Christmas, Christmas music starts on the radio stations on, you know, Halloween and mm-hmm. all of the, the consumerism and, and all the stuff that people want at Christmas. And I just started thinking, if I'm just scoffing at them or, or being mean about it, I mean, what are they going to think about a Christian's experience of this season? Yes, I, I think that's very true. And so while we can, you know, of course, we begin the Christmas season at Christmas and continue on, mm-hmm. and people may find us strange for doing that, but we can enter into the the joy that people uh, or the happiness that people are, and help them through our witness, something as simple as a smile. You know, we're, we might be out shopping or we might be out doing something and and maybe we, we feel stressed about all these different things we need to do. Do we take that extra time with someone who maybe maybe they bumped into us or maybe there was a long line and we're we're, we're feeling kind of off? Do we take the time to smile, to just simply give a kind word, to give a greeting to someone else. Those simple things are ways of witnessing the joy that comes from Christ and witnessing our our lives as Christians. They don't cost anything. It's the best part. Well, maybe not the best part. I'm just kidding. But it is nice <laughs> that it's that it is free to give and that we should give freely as the Lord gave freely. Why don't you read this full quote for us from St. Vincent? So holy cheerfulness is a precious gift of the fruits of the Holy Spirit and is thus the mark of a true servant of the Lord. So in face, in looks, in reciprocal remarks, and in a special way towards strangers, all must radiate holy cheerfulness and joy. It must be remembered that if this characteristic is lacking, they will lead few people to God because they will not encourage many to be enthusiastic about following our Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, their example of cheerfulness and joy will help people to understand that the following of our Lord Jesus Christ is the basis of a life of true happiness. Mm. And this was in a letter. Pilate wrote this, St. Vincent Pilate wrote this to, to someone else. And, and really was encouraging them. I, you wonder what this yeah. person may have been like. <laughs> I don't know. What were they complaining about yeah. in that letter that he was responding to? P- possibly, yes. <laughs> you know, stop, stop going on and on here. This is, this is how you're called to be. And he had a tendency to do that. He was a, a very much a, a spiritual director. And, and this is the advice of a, of a spiritual father saying, look, he, here's 
how you're going to draw other people to Christ. This is this just that example alone will help people understand that real happiness, true happiness can only come through life in Christ. And everything else, we go, it go, really goes without saying, but that, that is what he's saying. Everything else is going to fall short. And, you know, he could have had that. He came from a merchant family. He came, you know, he could have had a very nice life, mm-hmm. St. Vincent, and chose not to. And what do people seek? And in this season, it, you know, of Advent, and as we go into the Christmas season, it's important for us. It gives us an opportunity to stop and say, well, what kind of joy in Christ am I radiating to other people? Yeah. How would you encourage us to pray? I think in terms of prayer, it, it's, a, it's a matter of looking at what are the things that are weighing me down? What are the things that are, 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 are that I'm holding on to that, that are, are going against joy? Am I angry with someone? Am I upset about something? Am I worried? Am I weighed down? Am I really trusting in the Lord? And then to ask the Lord and, and to ask the intercession of the Blessed Mother to, to move that away, to take that so, so that and to fill us with the joy that really only comes from Christ. Well, thank you so much, Father Frank Donio. Go get their Advent resources over at catholicapostolatecenter.org slash Advent. Let's take a look at weather across the nation. The coastal storm, which led to flooding and power outages across the eastern seaboard, will depart the U.S., leaving behind with it a mix of rain and snow in the high country of West Virginia, western Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and northern Maine. The showers should be persistent this morning, but will begin to taper off toward the evening time. On the west coast, rain showers will be following along will be falling along the coastline with some thunder possible near the California coast. In the interior northwest and around the Sierra Nevada mountain range, a mix of rain and snow is expected. However, along the Washington-Oregon border, freezing rain is possible. Otherwise, expect dry weather today for the Rockies, desert southwest, the Plains, Great Lakes, Mississippi River Valley, and the Gulf Coast. It's quarter past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. For 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have followed in the footsteps of their founder, St. Daniel Comboni. We are an active missionary group sharing our deep faith in God through service to the poorest and most abandoned people around the world, satisfying both the physical and spiritual needs of the people in our mission. Please support our mission work with a generous year-end gift today. Thank you for your prayers and kindness. Give today at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. 
They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Are you a new listener to EWTN Radio? Welcome. We're here for you 24-7. You'll hear live and interactive shows throughout the day to answer any questions you may have about the Catholic faith. There's trustworthy news from a Catholic perspective. And a large selection of podcasts available at EWTN's Podcast Central. And, of course, the daily Mass, prayers, and everything you need to edify your soul. Welcome to EWTN Radio. We're blessed to have you with us. 17 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Church leaders are stressing there has been no change in church teaching on marriage with the new guidance on blessings issued by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith yesterday. The United Nations Security Council will likely try again today to vote on a halt in the fighting in Gaza. And meanwhile, the pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza is mourning the two Christian women who were recently killed by Israeli snipers. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, we've not had a much chance, uh, and here we are a few days in, to talk about the O antiphons. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if you are at Mass today or if you hear Mass on the radio, you will hear during the Gospel acclamation, O root of Jesse's stem, sign of God's love for all his people, come to save us without delay. You'll hear something every day between now and Christmas Eve that says, O and then gives a title for the Lord. We started on the 17th with O Sapientia, O Wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, O Adonai, or O Lord, and so on and so forth. Uh, you may recognize these lines because they're in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O Emmanuel, by the way, is the last of the O Antiphons, which we hear on December 23rd. And it turns into a little backwards acrostic. Yes, it does. So if you go um, backwards... Uh, with the last one, E. Emmanuel, the second to last one, Rex Gentium, King of the Nations, and so on and so forth. It spells Aero Cross. Aero Cross, which in Latin means, I think, tomorrow, tomorrow I, I will be. Yeah. Or tomorrow I come. Tomorrow I will come. Or I think yeah. it's tomorrow. I can't. So this is what happens when we try the Latin. But somebody can tell us what it exactly, like, literally means. So it basically, essentially, the code tells you. Well, you're right. Ero, eros, erot is the being verb. Yes, it's a state of being verb. Yeah. Ero is the first person singular. Er, That would be. Now you're the first person plural. I know. I was trying to conjugate it. Ero, eros, erot. Yes. Eramus, erotis. Erot. Mrs. Borish is going to be so disappointed in me that I can't mm. remember the third person plural ending. I don't start with ero. I start with amo, amas, amat. Amamos. Which is? Amatis. Amate. To love. It's an E at the end, I think. This is the time that the Sunrise Morning Show tried to do Latin on the fly and were exposed. You know, there are a lot of people so who would not be humble enough who would not be humble enough to let you know that they don't know Latin very well. But here on the Sunrise Morning Show, we're not afraid to let you know 
we don't know our Latin I'm very well. I'm sorry, Mrs. It's Borish. been a long time. I'm sorry, Mrs. Borish. Oh, Annie. Which is not an antiphon. Coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington, with a reading from The Imitation of Christ. If only I could find you alone, O Lord, and tell you all that is in my heart, then I could enjoy you as much as my soul desires. Then you only would speak to me and I to you as a lover does to a beloved or a friend to a good friend. This is my one desire and what I pray for, to be entirely united to you and to withdraw my heart from all created things, that by holy communion and the frequent offering of Mass, I may learn ever to delight in the eternal things of heaven. Dear Lord, when shall I be completely one with you and entirely forgetful of myself? You in me and I in you. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington for Sacred Heart Radio. By Father Patrick Briscoe, and he is with our Sunday visitors. Tons of great resources over there, and he's written a piece on praying with St. Patrick at the manger. Father Patrick, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. How are you? Aren't we supposed to wait a few months before we start talking about St. Patrick? It's interesting to me for a number of reasons, and uh, one of them you point out right at the beginning that uh, Patrick and his connection to the manger starts with the fact that, I mean, St. Patrick was a shepherd, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I was thinking about praying about. We're starting to see nativity scenes set up. Maybe you've already got one up in your home. Um, there, you know, we're starting to see them out in front of our churches as our preparations for Christmas continue. And so I was just sort of thinking about the different figures of the nativity, and the shepherds are the are the ones that kind of caught my mind, caught my heart uh, as I was as I was. Uh, preparing uh, for, for some for some of my Christmas writing, and I realized in, in chatting about it with a friend um, that it was an Im- important moment to think about a different shepherd, um, you know, St. Patrick, who, of course, had his encounter with God. It was not too dissimilar from the shepherds of the Gospel who encountered the Christ child, and so that's why I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to begin to think about uh, maybe St. Patrick's breastplate, his prayer in a, in a different light. 
Well, uh, I, we can get to the breastplate in a minute because that's uh, once I started thinking about that after I saw your piece, I was like, man, there's a lot in here you can connect to Christmas. But I also think about uh, Patrick and his evangelization of a pagan culture. I mean, what must it have been like for him to talk to these people who worshipped in a lot of ways like nature or the sun to say, no, God is a person. He's a person. He was Jesus is actually born right into a human body. Like what an what a wild thing it must have been for him to try and explain this to a culture who had only known paganism and nature worship. Yeah, I think that's right. And and we're seeing we're seeing that more and more even in our own day as more and more of our contemporaries are just just raised in something foreign from Christianity or or a version of Christianity where they don't where they don't really meet the Lord, where they don't know Jesus as a person. So I, so I think uh, you know, as as you say, Patrick's experience was was pretty radical in in the work that he was called to do to convert Ireland. Um, but it's increasingly not dissimilar from the work that we're called to do in the, in the world around us, as as more and more uh, more and more of our contemporaries don't actually understand who Jesus was or or really have any knowledge of him. Well, it's interesting. Now I want to get to the breastplate because there are people who know pieces and chunks of the breastplate, but when you read it as, as a whole, it's uh, there's a lot of trinitarian stuff in it. A lot of uh, I mean St. Patrick is known for this um advocacy of the Trinity, uh, trying to explain the Trinity and uh I mean you can't explain the Trinity without saying that the word became flesh and <laughs> dwelt among us. I mean, Christmas is an essential part of this question, but as you were going through the breastplate of St. Patrick, what were some of the lines that you you really focused on to, to, to think about this idea of how St. Patrick must have thought about, you know, the Lord being born in Bethlehem? Yeah, and, and uh, I think I'd, I'd just follow, follow that up and say not just St. Patrick, but how we can think about it too, right? When we're when we're when we're there at the crib, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, is such an all-consuming event that it it just just takes over the horizon of history and changes everything around us. And so I I love this idea that that Patrick's prayer um, can be can be backed up or, or located at this moment of of the nativity, at this moment where Jesus is really born, where Christ just becomes our all, where, where Christ is all around us, where He's before us, behind us, where He's beneath us, where He's above us. And so, so taking those words of St. Patrick, uh, Christ before me, Christ beneath me, Christ under me, Christ behind me, um, to, to understand how final, how grand, uh, how, how all-consuming, all how total the, the, the moment of the nativity of Jesus is. Well, we think about the hymn that uh, everybody sort of defaults to for the first four Sundays of Advent because you can't really do Christmas songs yet. And O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? And what does Emmanuel mean but God with us? And what communicates God with us better than saying Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me on my right, in the heart of every man who thinks of me, in the mouth of everyone who speaks with me? I mean, that is God with us. Absolutely, no, absolutely, and I, I think that, uh, I think that part of what St. Patrick's experience uh, would have been, as a shepherd, would have been to know how consoling that presence is. I mean, but a huge part of being a shepherd is being lonely, right, and tending to the flocks and having to face uh, all, all the trials of nature, 
and I think that I think that many of those themes um, are still especially germane. Uh, think about how many people are going to be lonely as Christmas approaches. How many people are really at risk? Uh, thinking of the Christians in the Holy Land, especially that are really they're really subject to powers far 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 beyond uh, their own their own strength. And there's a way there's a way that that just givenness to God um, that that St. Patrick and the other shepherds had. Um, needs to be needs to be appreciated and imitated by us all. Well, you, we've got your uh, piece. It's called "Praying with St. Patrick at the Manger." It's at our Sunday Visitor, and you can find it through sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. Father Briscoe, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on, Mac. God bless. All right, and check out not just Father Briscoe and our Sunday Visitor, but all the guests that we talk to on a daily basis. Uh, we talk to people from all over the planet, actually. Uh, and all over the country, certainly. And they have some great resources and books and thoughts, ways to get your perspective back on track. Uh, there's a lot of distraction. The devil would want nothing more than for you to be distracted and angry and frustrated and lonely and sad and irritable right now. But let's finish Advent strong. You can use uh, some of the people we talk to to help you out. Find them at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. <laughs> Church leaders are stressing there has been no change in church teaching on marriage with a new guidance issued yesterday by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith on blessing people in irregular relationships. The Declaration Fiducia Supplicans makes a distinction between liturgical blessings and blessings associated with popular piety. The latter being available without moral perfection, thereby being open to folks who are in same-sex relationships or in unmarried heterosexual relationships. It states that, quote, rites and prayers that could create confusion between what constitutes marriage are inadmissible. The U.S. Bishops' Conference released a statement yesterday on the matter saying the declaration, quote, articulated a distinction between liturgical blessings and pastoral blessings, which may be given to persons who desire God's loving grace in their lives. It states the church's teaching on marriage has not changed, and this declaration affirms that while also making an effort to accompany people through the imparting of pastoral blessings, because each of us needs God's healing love and mercy in our lives, end quote. Israel is facing growing pressure at home and internationally over its campaign in Gaza against Hamas. Mark Mayfield reports. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin visited Tel Aviv on Monday and said he was going to reiterate America's commitment to Israel while also pushing for the need to protect civilians from harm in the Gaza Strip. This comes after Israeli forces accidentally killed three hostages in Gaza and two women who were taking refuge in a church were also killed, sparking outrage. Meanwhile, CIA Director William Burns is meeting with Qatari and Israeli officials in Poland to talk about the hostage situation and a potential humanitarian pause. I'm Mark Mayfield. The pastor of the only Catholic church in Gaza is mourning those two Christian women who were killed by Israeli snipers. Father Gabriel Romanelli told Vatican News that the two women, a mother and daughter, were active in Holy Family Parish. He said their loss is a great sorrow. He said, quote, let us continue to pray that all this ends, this absurdity, as we have repeated so many times, a month of war, an hour of war, a minute of war only increases the number of victims and deprives people of peace of daily life, end quote. 
Pope Francis yesterday addressed participants in the second global refugee forum. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Pope Francis said that this second meeting shows a clear commitment to resolving the plight of refugees as a shared responsibility and therefore marks a sign of hope. The Pope said he sees many positive signs in our world with countries and local communities keeping their borders and hearts open to refugees, saving lives at sea, offering solidarity in reception centers. He recalled how important cooperation is as the key solution to global problems. Choosing whether to stay in their home country or migrate to another one should be a recognized freedom, the Pope said. And ideally, everyone should have the opportunity to live a dignified life in their own country. Today, almost 114 million people are forcibly displaced, some within their own countries, due to conflicts, violence, persecution, even religious, and climate change, the Pope lamented. And our responses have yet to adequately address these complex and pressing emergencies. Sadly, he underscored, we continue to mourn the countless lives lost on land and at sea while seeking protection or fleeing from a hopeless future. And that's why it's top priority to protect and save human lives, the Pope writes. Apart from meeting immediate needs for food and shelter, efforts should strive to help refugees and migrants participate in and contribute to the societies receiving them. Recalling that refugees are persons with rights and duties, not just objects of assistance. And he said their talents and skills can be a valuable and appreciated resource for host communities. In conclusion, the Pope writes that we're at a threshold moment today where we can choose either the culture of humanity and fraternity or a culture of indifference. He encouraged all the participants at the Global Refugee Forum to seize the opportunity to reaffirm the principles of fraternity and solidarity among communities and countries. I'm Thaddeus Jones. And the late Justice Sandra Day O'Connor will be laid to rest today. Services will be at the Washington National Cathedral. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. The Sacred Heart Radio is brought to you by you. Yes, your donations make Catholic Radio possible. So to give a gift of any amount, please visit sacredheartradio.com and click donate or call 513-731-7740. And thank you. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Schneller Knockelman Plumbing, Heating, and Air. Treating customers with integrity for over 90 years for heating, air conditioning, water heaters, plumbing, and more. Schneller Knockelman at skpha.com skpha.com. Working to see the culture of life prevail in the Miami Valley, Dayton Right to Life is here to protect God's gift of life through law, education, and community action from fertilization to natural death. Find Dayton Right to Life online at DaytonLife.org. That's DaytonLife.org. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Sunset Janitorial Supply, a Catholic family business supplying the tri-state cleaning industry with commercial cleaning supplies, personal hygiene, equipment, and even machine repair. Free delivery to your business. More information at SunsetJanitorialSupply.com. It's 24 minutes before the hour on this Tuesday, December the 19th. Your forecast is brought to you on Sacred Heart Catholic Radio by Schneller Nockelman Plumbing, Heating, and Air online at skpha.com. Going to be pretty cold today. Right now, it's rather cold with temperatures in the lower to mid-20s as you're heading out the door. For Cincinnati, mostly sunny skies today with a high of 35 degrees. A few clouds and cold again tonight with an overnight low of 23 Partly cloudy and a little warmer tomorrow with a high of 46 degrees. 
For the Miami Valley-Dayton area, partly cloudy skies today and a high of 34. Partly cloudy tonight with an overnight low of 22. Sunny skies tomorrow and a high of 45 degrees. This is Sacred Heart Catholic Radio, 740 a.m., 910 a.m. Download our app at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear. Christmas like it's normal because most of us must have known about it all our lives. And it's easy to forget just what an extraordinary thing it is for the Word to become flesh and dwell among us and for Him to be born of a virgin. These are wild, wild things and claims of the church uh, that we say in the creeds all the time. And so we got to talk about Immaculate Conception, Miraculous Births in the Bible. Steve Ray from Catholic Convert. Dot com now here to discuss those. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Matt. And since this is December, which is the month of the Immaculate Conception, I thought this would be a good topic because we have not only her Immaculate Conception, Mary's, but also the virgin birth of Jesus, some pretty miraculous births. Two uh, articles of faith, right, for us as Catholics. Absolutely. And, and one of those, the virgin birth, all Protestants would pretty much agree on with us, with the exception of like a few on kind of the the progressive fringes, but, you know, we don't see the words immaculate conception in the Bible. Any good Baptist would point that out to us, but uh, is there this idea in there? It is. And we could also say to the Protestant, the good Baptist, that the word Trinity is not used in the Bible, and yet that is part of their foundational dogmas as well. So there's a lot of things that are in the Bible that aren't necessarily stated specifically, but it's there. And this whole idea of the Immaculate Conception, especially if you understand typology of Old and New Testament together, it's pretty clear because we have another woman who was immaculately conceived and people are, their ears pick up with that. What other woman was immaculately conceived? Well, I would contend that Eve was conceived without sin and she is the mother of the first mother of all the living, it says in Genesis. So Eve was made by God without sin. She was an immaculate conception. He conceived of her in his mind and made her. And, um, and Mary becomes the new Eve. Eve started the first humanity. Mary is now bringing about a new humanity with her son. And that is the second Mary also has to be like the first Eve, and she's immaculately conceived as well. There's a great line in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it's when they're unpacking the four marks, unpacking the word that means Catholic, right? That when we say one holy Catholic and apostolic church, but in the section on Catholic, it says that the church is the world reconciled, right? So yeah. if the whole world, if all humanity had kind of like this one sort of mother that started everything in motion, then the church, the world reconciled, has this sort of maternal presence at the beginning of it as well. Absolutely. In Book of Revelation, it shows Mary in heaven, and it says, and the devil went out to do war against the rest of her children. Well, who are the rest of Mary's children? It's us, of course, the church. All right. So this is something that, uh, like like I say, when you were a Baptist, you might have had trouble with this, but this was not something that the church fathers had trouble with. I think of Irenaeus. I think of Justin Martyr. There are a few of them who talk about this. Yeah, also, yes, absolutely. Origen did as well. The, the way Justin Martyr says it is a very, I love it. It's very succinct. Thus, the knot of Eve's disobedience, like in a rope, a knot that's been tied, was loosed by the obedience of Mary. What the Virgin Eve had bound in unbelief, the Virgin Mary loosed through faith. That's pretty clear. <laughs> 
Yes, indeed. All right, now we got to get into a word that I've never been able to pronounce properly. Uh, but it is interesting that when angels appear to just about everybody in the Bible, they say, hey, Daniel, or hey, Joseph, or, <laughs> you know, hello right, to right. these people in the Bible. But when Gabriel appears to Mary, he doesn't say, even though we say it in the rosary all the time, he doesn't say, hail Mary. He says, hail something else. How does that help us understand this? Well, the the Greek word is kahadetomeni. I think that's pronounced correctly. And that is a word which means, it's a present participle in the Greek, and I don't want to lose people, but it just means this. It has a past part and a present. It means one who has been made full of grace in the past and who remains in that state to this day. Hail kahadetomeni, the angel said. And John Paul II said that is Mary's name in the eyes of God. When he looks down and sees her, he says, there's my Kahare Tomini, the one that I made full of grace in the past and who remains in that state today. In other words, the Immaculate Conception. In Latin, it's called gratia plena, which means full of the life of God, full of grace. So we see right there in that name that the angel proclaims of Mary, that title, already we see the, the foundation for the Immaculate Conception. All right, so I would love to talk more about the Immaculate Conception. There's plenty to say about it uh, and plenty of objections that people might have, but that one title really helps to to get us thinking about it differently. Um, but I want to talk about some other miraculous births in the Bible because there are people who object not just the Immaculate Conception, but the idea of the virgin birth at all, right? People who uh, right. are perhaps non-Christians or people who are of a more kind of like a progressive theological stripe but we got a, a Bible full of miraculous births, don't we? We do. In fact, the main one that we see is with someone, a woman who is older, who is called barren, and she has children beyond childbearing years. That's one of the main ones that we see. The other one um, is the Immaculate Conception, of course, and then parents, born, uh, children born, especially beyond Bar uh, the barren years. Well, I think of them, we've got a list of them. I'll just run through a few. Sarah, who was in the very beginning part of Genesis chapter 12, who couldn't give birth. And she ended up giving birth to Isaac, which means laughter. In fact, she called him that because she laughed. Can you believe I'm 90 years old and giving birth to a son? And she laughed and gave the name Isaac, which means laughter. And then Rachel, her granddaughter, also was the wife of Jacob. She was barren, and it says she got. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and then she had Joseph and Benjamin eventually, um, mother of Samson as well. And in fact, with mother of Samson, it's very interesting because he almost uses the exact words he does with Mary, and it says the angel of the Lord said to her, "Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son, and his name was Samuel. I mean Samson." So. What's interesting about this is this, some of our listeners are heading to Mass today, uh, or will hear it on the radio, and guess what the first reading is from Mass today? It's Judges chapter 13. It's the Annunciation to <laughs> Samson's mom. Uh, and, and, and she, same she goes and says, yeah, uh, a man of God came to me. He had the appearance of an angel of God, terrible indeed. I didn't ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name, but he said to me, you will be with child and bear a son, and she goes on. What's fascinating is that we don't get the rest of Samson's story, but the church has decided that here on the Tuesday of the third week of Advent, uh, we need to hear about a miraculous birth, an annunciation of a completely improbable 
situation where a child was born so that we can better understand what happens at Christmas. Exactly. That's why the Old and the New Testaments fit together so well. You can't have the New without the Old. And they really, they, they like your fingers intertwining. You can't understand one without the other. Just to mention a couple others, Hannah, who was the mother of the prophet Samuel. In fact, the mother of Mary is named Anne, Anna, which comes from the Old Testament name Hannah. And when Hannah had her miraculous baby, beyond child years, named him Samuel. She sang the Magnificat of the Old Testament. When Mary became pregnant, she sang the Magnificat of the New Testament, which is very much like Hannah's. And we also have Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist, knowing that they were very old and couldn't have children. So then we've got a whole bunch of them right there, some in the old and some in the new. It's something that we believe because it says nothing is impossible with God. He's able to do miraculous things, and he does. I love that quote. I'm just going to go back to it one more time. Thus the knot of Eve's disobedience was loosed by the obedience of Mary. What the Virgin Eve had bound in unbelief, the Virgin Mary loosed through faith. And there's a wonderful devotion to Our Lady, undoer of knots, that has endured through the centuries. There's wonderful paintings and icons that show her undoing things. Steve, I don't know about you, though. Uh, There is one particular scenario in which I pray to Our Lady, of undoer of knots most often. You know what it is? No. When I take my son fishing, just, uh, oh, just, I just, I just keep you very the, busy. Uh, very busy. Yes. Every other well, cast. Uh, our Mary, Lady of Undoer the Undoer of Nuts. Of, of Nuts is, it, my, that's my wife's favorite devotion. We have that picture everywhere in our house. Well, next time you take your small army of grandchildren fishing, remember Our Lady of Undoer <laughs> of Nuts. When you get into that tackle box and someone says, Grandpa, I'm hung on a tree again, you just remember that. <laughs> I will. And then those those narrow, those skinny little uh, wires always get tangled up too. those fishing lines. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Well, I'm not going to speak to you between now and then, but have a Merry Christmas, Steve, you and your family. And we'll talk to you in the new year. Thank you, Matt. God bless you, too. All right. 14 till we're going to talk about St. Bernard and Our Lady with Chris McGregor next. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. 
What a great grace it is to have the opportunity to use the airwaves for the honor and glory of God, to be able to talk to the hearts of individuals and meet them where they are in their relationship with our Lord, and also to encourage them forward. Women of Grace with Johnette Williams. This morning, 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. This is Dr. David Anders. Does the problem of evil keep you from believing in God? Join us for Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Tuesday of the third week of Advent. O Root of Jesse is our O Antiphon for the day. Chris McGregor now joining us from DiscerningHearts.com. It's a great place to dive into the Office of Readings and Reflections from the Greatest Minds in the history of the church. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Matt. It's so good to be with you. I, Annie steals all your interviews, you know. She steals all <laughs> the... We fight over who we get to talk to around here. Uh, I'm so glad to talk to you about St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He's a wonderful person to talk, to, uh, talk about uh, as we head towards Christmas. Before we get into the piece that we're going to look at today, I wonder if you could give us a flavor of, like, what is the style of Bernard so we can sort of understand what we're hearing. Well, he's the the great Benedictine, of course, the the a Capuchin who absolutely devoured, if I could say that, the Word of God, and his love for the Blessed Virgin Mary is uh, it. Well, of course, many of us recite the Memorare, and that comes from the heart, the experience of Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. And so very when mystical. we He's yeah he he has a lot of layers that he preaches lots of sermons on the Song of Songs. <laughs> he's just a he's looking at things from kind of like a higher angle than a lot of us look at them. I don't know, uh, man. I bet you do too. I bet you're up uh, there on that angle. I'm a little bit. I'm a couple of rungs below Bernard de Clairvaux. That's for sure. But I want to dig into this one and and hear your thoughts because I think one of the hardest things about Advent is that. We have to pretend that the most important thing that has ever happened in human history hasn't happened yet, right? Mm-hmm. We have to get ourselves back in this headspace where we're anxiously anticipating something that has really already happened. But how does uh, St. Bernard, by looking at the Annunciation, really help us get back in that headspace of what it must have been like for the whole of creation to be awaiting salvation? Well, this is a, an incredible reflection by Bernard on Mary's fiat, right? And you're a good son of Latin, and you know that fiat, of course, means more than just a yes. What she's saying is, let it be done. Let it be done unto me. And that's the type of fiat that all of us are called to every single day, even little Therese, right? She she would say, it's all in the little yeses. And sometimes those yeses can be very intimidating, Sometimes saying uh, fiat, let it be done, will we know might lead us into suffering, into a mystery we don't understand. All these things are contained in this special moment in salvation history. There are those, those times, of course, that climaxes in this incredible fiat of our Lord when he's in the, in the agony of the garden where he says, let it be done. Uh, yeah. Your will, Father. And yet Mary here is that precursor of salvation history. And he is recounting to us in this office of readings, in this this wonderful reflection, Matt, that you know that it's not it's not just the dicastery in Rome reading this 
or even priests right now entering into this liturgy. But it's nuns in Australia. It's it's uh, uh, brothers and monks and so much of the church all around the world that are in this great reflective time of prayer and anticipating the the great yes that needs to happen every day, right? Yeah, I mean, I love how he puts this in this reading. Uh, is, again, this is from a sermon of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. As everybody, it's like all of salvation history is on edge, waiting for Mary to say, be it done to me according to your word. Uh, Bernard writes, tearful Adam with this sorrowing family begs this of you, a loving virgin, in their exile from paradise. Abraham begs it. David begs it. All the other holy patriarchs, your ancestors, ask it of you as they dwell in the country of the shadow of death. This is what the whole earth waits for, prostrate at your feet. You can just sort of hear all of salvation history on edge waiting for her to say yes and then sort of like erupting when it happens. Just like when, I mean, you're you're in Nebraska, you know, and you've never mm-hmm. seen a football stadium erupt after a field goal, a game-winning <laughs> field goal, like you would probably hear all of salvation history erupting when she says yes. It gets pretty loud these days when those things happen. That's true. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is, you know, I was just thinking we, we have these uh, wonderful presidents on the sides of mountains with their heads, and yet what they did does nothing to compare to what this this young girl in, in her remarkable uh, prudence, her discernment in that moment to say, yes, I, re- I will receive this. And she, he's absolutely right when you, I'm glad you picked out that line, as they dwell in the country of the shadow of death. You know, we, we forget sometimes that when the, all of those patriarchs, so prior to this moment, but prior to, to the great, again, leading us to Easter, that where did they dwell, those who had died, even St. Joseph? And the church has always taught that this, this realm of the dead, and they're just waiting in eager anticipation. And but it all depends on her will to say yes. Believe, and she does. Give praise and receive, Saint Bernard says. Let humility be bold, let modesty be confident. <laughs> you know, it's we're cheering on uh the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I mean, this is the most shocking part of it all. Like, why would God even involve us? <laughs> like, why yeah. would he even say, I'm willing to save you, but one of you's going to have to say yes. One yeah, of you's going it, to have to agree to this. Yeah, the one who is the word, you know, the the thing that one of the things that really jumped out to me, that repetition of the, you know, the word of God, he's waiting to come and dwell in her, but also in us, because there are all those moments, even in our baptism, as you know, once we say yes, we're ontologically changed, we're, we become um in a very real way, the presence of Christ is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Not unlike what, not, it's not exactly like, but what happens with the Virgin, she's the first to say yes. And it changes all other yeses from that point, point forward. Everything else changes, doesn't it, Matt? It does. Well, and this is why she is what the catechism calls the eschatological icon of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's our goal? It's for Christ to live inside of me, right? And for me to bear him forth to the world. Well, it turns out there's somebody that literally happened to. Yeah. <laughs> who Christ literally lived in and who bore him out to the world. That'd be, that'd be Our Lady. Turns oh, out it actually happened. Her. Yes. Yeah. And that's why we reverence her and we love her. And she said yes, because all of our yeses are contained within her. Very cool. 
Very cool. Well, uh, Chris McGregor, I encourage people to go check out discerninghearts.com. Find more great riches from the history. 2,000 years of good stuff, and we've only scratched the surface. Have a good one, Chris. We'll see you in the Christmas season. Merry Christmas, my friend. All right. That wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show here on a Tuesday morning. But we are back again tomorrow with more great Advent reflections to get you down the stretch as we head into Christmas this weekend. I'm Matt Swain. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.